Hello and welcome to Matt Chat, where each week I invite an Empire LARPer to come on the channel and talk to me, Matt Pennington, about some aspect of Empire or live role-playing that we're both interested in. Here today with Tansy. Why don't you introduce yourself, Tansy, and explain what we're going to talk about today? Hi. Um, okay, so my name's Tansy. I've been a LARPer for a, a, a very long time, at least 30 years. And I thought it'd be quite interesting for us to have a bit of a chat about kind of then and now and specifically some of the sort of some some issues surrounding gender and the role and women in LARP then and now. Yeah I should say Tansy's one of the members of our crew team for Empire and it was kind of one of my unwritten rules that I was trying to do these podcasts with players first but I thought this topic was so interesting that I broke my rule for this so when Tansy suggested this I was very very strongly enthusiastic and said yes that sounds really interesting let's do it. I think it is potentially one of those third rail issues in that it can strays into culture war and politics and other such things. So it might be quite, uh, yeah, heated. Well, I don't expect it to be heated, but I just... Yeah, I I think it could open a lot of of discussions, which is sort of where I I think... I mean, obviously, we're not going to solve anything and we're not going to actually be able to go, oh, this is absolutely definitive. I can only speak about my own lived experiences as a girl and woman in LARP. And having sort of chatted a lot recently to people who were LARPing with me back in the late 80s, early 90s, we were, we were actually in a, very, in a group that was quite, um, that had quite a lot of women in it, considering the, the scene at the time, which was much more male dominated. So I might have a slightly different experience than, than quite a few other women. I'm always a little nervous around these identity issues. Obviously, I don't have any lived experience of being a woman in live role playing. Duh. But I'm also, there's always an element, I think, where, you know, it's really important to stress everybody has an individual experience. One woman's experience of LARP isn't another woman's experience. So, you know, all you can do is talk confidently about your experiences and we can discuss them and, and kind of look at them. And if other people find them relevant, great. And if other people think, well, that wasn't my experience, cool as well, I I think yeah. people over worry about trying to to be over definitive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we it, there is certainly for every time I've kind of had this discussion, you know, when as you say, like that three a.m. chat when you're all sat around, you it's well after timeout and people sort of turn to talking about out of character things and maybe sort of like experiences of being a woman in LARP comes up as a topic of converse, conversation. You won't, you won't get two people to agree that this is how it is because it isn't the same for everybody and it isn't the yeah. same in every group. But certainly there are, a cert- there are certain things that I think we all experience and that we all, we kind of, I, I think, no, we've got a vision for how we'd like it to be in the future where actually these conversations aren't being had because there is no experience as a woman in LARP that would be in any way different to anybody else's experience in LARP. I think that's kind of the vision, but I don't think we're there yet. I think we are we are still in a situation where you will have a different experience coming in as a young girl, a young woman into this hobby than you might have coming in as a young man into this hobby. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. One of the things I might try and do at, at risk of destroying my own reputation in the hobby is take an, an adversarial approach. So there's an interesting question of socialization versus biology. And just to pay, take a trite example of that, one of the things one of my friends has pointed out to me years and years ago is that, you know, you hold LARP events at a week, kind of three or four weekends a year. And as a male organiser, and this was absolutely true and is remains true, you've no conception of the fact that 10%, 20, whatever percentage of your female player base 
that is their time of the month. And so they need hygiene facilities proportionate to deal with that. And I've been absolutely guilty of overlooking that time and again. And my point is, actually, you'll never eradicate that difference. You know, no guy is ever going to have to deal with that as an issue when they go live role playing. Uh, and now we absolutely could get get it, I suppose, to the standards where the hygiene facilities were so great that it was of no issue whatsoever. I don't know enough about them, you know, to say whether that, you know. But I, I think the point is, at some level, that there may be differences between experience of LARP that is biological. And I oh, suspect definitely. you'll... you'll yeah, definitely. I mean, even just coming in from, uh, as I say, like coming in as a, a young girl, I was 14 when I started LARPing. And there were just, even just coming down to the, the fact that I'm coming into LARP that was at that time, not in any way, nobody was going to make any difference for the fact that you were a girl coming in. But I did have to deal with the fact that I am, I was very slight at that time. I've put on a certain amount more mass now, but I was very light, very small and only five foot tall. Yep. And just literally just overcoming those the size difference when I'm coming up against a group of lads who are running at me who are all, you know, in the top end of five foot and up to six foot plus, you know. Yeah. And who are all going to be more able to wear chainmail all day and going to be more physically capable and they have a longer reach and they've got, you know, so I I had to learn because I wanted to be a fighter when I was first in LARP. Apart from anything else, that was pretty much all LARP was. Yes, yeah, it was. That, back when I started LARPing, uh, we ran linears that were basically, you start at point A, you need to get to point C, there are monsters in point B, and you must fight your way through them. And no amount of talking your way through them was going to work. These th this was a fight. You needed to fight from one place to another. So you had to just adapt and there weren't things in the rules to help you. So you wore the chainmail the same as everyone else and you you fought with two short stabbing weapons because that was going to be quicker and you learnt to be fast because speed was going to be your only advantage over people who were a lot taller and had a lot greater reach than you. Or you or you got yourself a decent pole arm and you worked out how to use that to to try and narrow that distance. But yeah, there are always going to be certain parts of the sort of physicality um, that is going to be a difference. But I think that those things are more easily overcome. You know, as, as a woman moving through the world, you are quite used to overcoming your own physicality. As far as, you know, your hygiene facilities, we're very used to just going, oh, you've only put the one portaloo up fair point and working our way around it and just sort of like you'll, you'll find in situations where people haven't thought of that you'll find girls um, will know where your local swimming pool is and will be like well we're going to disappear at eight o'clock in the morning we'll be back and you know and we, we'll just work it out we're used to just working yeah. out those kind of and we'll get faster and we'll put the chain we'll put more chainmail on and we'll we can get around those physicalities the things that are harder to to get around is when you're erased or dismissed socially yes that i think more so than any problem that there could be due to the physical differences between this group of short people and it doesn't matter who they are and those tall people over there all of that can be overcome using stats or using armor or using a different fighting technique but what's a lot harder to overcome is when you have fought for a certain position and you have worked really hard to gain a certain amount of respect when somebody walks in and just erases that in one comment 
whether that's you've really worked very hard in your field to become really good at something and then somebody comes in and goes oh right yes yeah, so you're a healer girlfriend then or um oh who are you here with and you just in that one moment you get to go oh god i'm just I, i've i've been erased to an adjunct to the male larper i attended with yeah and you know everything you've done to that point you just feel has just been diminished yeah. um and i think that that is harder to overcome than any kind of physical barrier to joining in and to be taken seriously and it, it's certainly been my experience as somebody who has not just been in LARP and been a LARPer for quite a long time, but has moved into crewing more and organising more. I've run my own games. I personally run free forms or used to run free forms, less so now, because I prefer that kind of story element and control element. But I've run plot for, for you, for Empire. Very popular it was too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I've, I've got a crew role now. But although the caveat to that being that I determined when I came into Empire that I was never going to crew for Empire. <laughs> um, I had I had crewed for another system and I was done with crewing. I was never going to crew for Empire. And I, I was absolutely clear I was going to be a player. And I was until just a couple of years ago. So um, <laughs> I held out for a very long time. But ultimately, you can't, you kind of can't resist once you've been crew, you kind of can't resist kind of going, well, I, I, I can, I think I can do that. I could help you here. Um, I, I could take that bit, that role on, or I could do this. So yeah, I think you, you never entirely lose that kind of other side of the hedge mentality. It's a different podcast, but I, I've talked before, and I've, I'm due to talk with someone else actually uh, over Christmas over the role of crew. But one of my arguments is that some people have a natural crewing mentality to them. They just see something and they're like, oh, I want to help make that better. Those people are just suckers. Everywhere they go, they will end up helping trying to make the game better. And weirdly, sometimes it doesn't even matter whether they're paying to play to be there or getting that you know getting him to free to crew they will just turn up with that mindset of i'm going to try and make this game better and it, it's good to play i think everybody I, I may always get a bit suspicious when people say oh i never play anymore i just crew everywhere i go i always think oh what don't you enjoy the hobby but i think like myself you're probably the kind of person who will keep coming back to crewing over and over again no matter how much you vow to yourself yeah yeah no i, I keep i do get dragged back in and I think it is that kind of wish to help hmm. and have that kind of supportive role the position I've got with you at the moment in player welfare is is pretty ideal for me because I do feel that kind of I want to make everybody's game experience just better and I want to see those positions where people aren't being able or aren't being heard or aren't who don't feel empowered enough to step up. I like that ability to be able to go, you can do this and you you, you should do this and go do the thing. So I quite I, I like that kind of position because from that perspective, I am seeing, to, to kind of pull us back onto our topic a bit, I am seeing women and, and young girls coming into LARP, coming into the hobby. I do see some of the same issues that, that I had as a younger woman coming into the hobby, still still there, still prevalent. And I think some things just aren't, are never entirely going to go away. If you put a bunch of slightly socially awkward hormonal teenagers in one space, there is always going to be a certain amount of hormones flying around. And there's going to be a certain amount of issues around that, of people getting into relationships and out of relationships and, and then being mean to each other. And there is a, that to us, that's kind of societal and, and normal. I think the, the issue is when that when gender gets used to to dismiss somebody or to diminish somebody is when I, I get I get onto my high horse and get my hackles up. 
when you get somebody who uses as an argument girl you know in, in the middle of an argument this girl is talking about and you think ah I see what you've done there you're trying to pull the power out from under that person I remember when I was in another system I, I became head of department there was a, a big thing where everyone was being introduced and the departments were being introduced and this is head of rules and this is head of plot and and then I was introduced as uh, the makeup girl oh nice I and I was like oh excuse me I'm I'm the head of Monster Room, <laughs> and um, and and in fact, myself and um, lovely uh, person I was head of Monster Room with were were introduced as the costume and makeup ladies. Oh, for fuck's sake! And it was just like I remember that that exact moment of just feeling utterly crushed. That all of that effort and all of that time and and volunteer time and everything we'd done had been reduced to the costume and makeup ladies yeah and i don't think the person who said it actually meant any ill and i don't think they in actually even for a moment considered what they were saying it just i remember it very much as a bit of a crushing blow in that moment that you know as soon as you attach girl or lady or woman to the thing you're you're saying that person is you're very much kind of going, you know, like a regular warrior, but this is a woman warrior. <laughs> yes. You know, and like this person is, you know, and here we have our heads of department and our lady heads of department. You immediately distance suddenly, you know, and, and diminish suddenly. I think a lot of this is, is done, not a lot, some of it, and it doesn't really matter what proportion, some of it is done unintentionally. If people want to protest and say, oh, no, I didn't mean that, I'm always, I, I always think it's more useful to go, yeah, I accept that. But I, I think any time you're bringing gender into that conversation, in hindsight, you should be able to look at it and think, oh, my God, why did my mouth open and say those words? Because it, it clearly doesn't have any role in that conversation. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, it's... But I th and I think that's kind of a, a head shift, and it's a a language shift that needs to just be adjusted. And I think we all we all run afoul of that all the time. I mean, I know that I I try very hard not to use gendered language, particularly within Empire, because it's not part of the system. But you can't help falling into it when you're kind of going, "You guys, come on, lads!" You fall into it, and then afterwards you think, "And also everyone else." Oh no, what did I just do? I, I get that, you know, it's, it's going to take a while for us to, to culture shift that kind of language. I have to say, guys is my word of, of hate. It, it, it Literally, I say it all the time. I use it absolutely ubiquitously with mixed gender groups, and I have to correct myself all the bloody time. But it's just a habit of 40 years. I, I just call everyone guys, and it, it is hard to change. It is really, really, really hard to stop doing it. But it takes effort. It just got to make a bit of an effort. If you care yeah, about it, the issue, make the bloody effort. It's, it's effort. It's effort worth making. Mm. You know, it's definitely effort worth making because it that that dropping in in the wrong point it does erase a group of people in that room. When I've been that warrior in amongst everybody else, and I'm in the same armor, and I'm got the same sword, and I'm about to take the same hits, to have somebody stand up in front of me and say, "Lads, we're going in to fight for our women," and to stand there thinking. Oh, right. Okay. So I'm not here. Yeah. You know, it does make a difference, you know, and the people who will then turn around and say, oh, but you knew I meant you as well. And I was just trying to give a rousing speech and da, 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 da. You have to say, yes, but be better. Think. 
Yeah, the thing that frustrates me when you talk to people is that they often think that the only thing that's important about communication is what they meant in their mind when they said it, mm. as if that was all there was to communication, as if it wasn't an exchange of something between one person and other people. And this failure to appreciate that actually you're in control of the words that leave your mouth and what matters is what people experience when they hear those words. That That's literally what communication is. It's, it doesn't matter what's in your head. You might as well make smoke signals about what's in your friggin' head. What matters is what's in the head of the people who hear you. It doesn't matter that I'm going to use guys and think I'm referring to men and women because that's not what some women are going to hear when I use that word. And so I, it's on me to be conscious of that. It's, you know, it's on all of us to think about what do these words mean to the people who hear them? Not what do they mean to me? <laughs> I'm not communicating to myself. I mean, I'm speaking from my own experience and saying that, you know, I've been in that room. I've been in that room where people have been referred to as the men, the boys, the lads. And I'm feeling erased. But I I'm, I could be stood next to somebody who's not just feeling erased, but is actually feeling you know, called out or be, who's being given feelings of horrific d dysmorphia from that. So you, you've got to be very aware that you're not talking to this. You're not in a, some movie where you've controlled exactly who's in front of you. Yeah. And you're not in some kind of, you know, you can't use these old tropes and these old scripts. You've got to be very aware of the fact that this is the world we're in and this is the world we're creating. Yeah. And in this world, we, we have multiple genders and we are all there stood in front of you. And so, you know, you th be better, think of another term, be more inclusive, try and try and just think a little bit more about just understanding that language matters. Visibility also matters and visibility is really important. So, you know, do think about the fact that if you are, you know yourself, you're a very big um, imposing and you have a very big physical stature and stood next to you is somebody who is more is smaller than you. Have a bit of a thought about, as, as an actor, as a fellow actor, have a bit of a thought about blocking. Um, have a bit of a thought about the fact that maybe you could just step a little bit back and behind that person to give them a little bit, to, to, so that they're more visible. Um, and in that heat of the moment, in that passionate speech you're about to deliver, be aware of the fact that if you step forward and in with, your, um, with all of those other big guys that are around you, you anybody shorter or smaller is going to become is going to start disappearing behind you yeah and it doesn't take very much when you're learning to be an actor on a stage you are constantly aware of your lines of sight and blocking it it doesn't take very much for you to just have a little bit of awareness of lines of sight and blocking as well when you're when you're stood up in those moments and and i'm speaking as somebody who is short i suppose in this mm. as well as somebody who's also female but i i've certainly been in meetings where things got heated everybody stood up and I vanished. <laughs> um, if we're all sat down around a table, I'm a fairly equal voice on that table, or at least I can try to be. I can try standing up, at which point I might be the same head height as many of the other people at that table anyway. But I mean, I, and I, I'm not beyond standing on a chair. I have done so before. But if all the guys at the table, if all the tall men at the table and tall women at the table, but if everybody stands up, you know, I will be lost in amongst that that physicality. And that's another place where you can be aware. You can be a little bit more aware and a little bit more of an ally 
to the people around you if you just have a bit of that peripheral awareness of yes wait a minute who's around and who's also to be heard here and consider be a bit more considerate be aware of your own physical presence as well and i think that goes back to my point earlier about biology in a way that there isn't a pure overlap between height and gender of course there isn't there isn't a pure overlap between gender and anything but you have to be aware that women are on average shorter than men that's just it's just a fact although i have had an, an argument with someone on the internet who argued that men weren't stronger than women they were simply socialized to be stronger than women i, I genuinely had a, a lengthy argument with him and tried to point out you know look here are some articles about the biology and, and so forth but Generally speaking, men are going to be taller. We just are. Whatever you do within the game, however society changes, that isn't going to change. Uh, and so it's not about gender as much, but it's about being aware that some people who play our game are much shorter than the average height and trying to give them, as you say, the space and not block their lines and think the way an actor would think about being on the stage. And it's just about respect for your fellow players at that point, isn't it? It's about giving them their space in the, the limelight and, and make sure you're not just blocking someone needlessly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, that one of the sort of better shifts I have seen um, from how things were back in the day to how things are now is I think that there is a little bit more of an awareness now that we are players in a scene and, the, and wanting to make a good scene. Yep. And wanting to make it a cinematic and, a, and in terms of the story and in terms of how this plays out, wanting to be part of a good scene. And so you do get a bit more of that kind of actor sensibility starting to come through where you're, you are thinking about, hang on a minute, you know, how is this scene playing through? How is this looking? And in those moments, I, I, when I've seen that within the game, I think that's when the game is running beautifully. That's when the game is running really well. When you see a group of people who are, yes, passionately in the moment and very caught up in what they're doing, but also really aware of how this scene is playing through and thinking about, actually, where could we play this scene a bit better? Let's let's spill it out of our tent so that more people see it. Let's get it closer to some, a light source so that we're in a better situation. And of thinking all of those things at the same time as still very much portraying this scene, that kind of understanding that this hobby that we've got is more than just me wanting to go out at a weekend, put some fake armour on and then just hit my mates with swords, which is, I think when I first started LARPing, that was very much where we were at. You know, we story did come along, but it came along a bit later. We did want to tell a story. We told most of our story after the event. Really, the actual linear was about going out in a field and hitting each other and sword fighting and, and just the fun of that kind of physical part of the hobby. But I think more and more we've moved away from that being the be all and end all of LARP, that being what LARP is. And we've moved towards actually, this is about storytelling. This is about that, that being part of something bigger. This is about being part of a scene. This is about telling this cinematic event. I think that's a very positive step for, for LARP and for the hobby, that we're now getting closer to actually making really good stories, stories that are as fun to be in as they are to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think to, to argue for a minute, I mean, ironically, if I look at the development of the games we've running, we've gradually reverted to including more combat and more battle in our games than we, we originally started out doing sort of 16, 17 years ago. But I do, I would accept what you're saying. In my mind, Fest LRP is based on the idea that, that dramatic moments are what the game is really about. 
you want those scenes of high drama and high tension and and confrontation or emotion and it's those kind of dramatic emotional scenes that really make the game amazing but i think battle can be one of those um yeah. i don't think it's a case that story is now more important than it is but i think i wouldn't disagree with you 30 to 25 30 years ago it was about what the stats of the monsters were and how many we were going to fight and whether encounter two was a combat encounter or a non-combat encounter to be honest, we only ever put non-combat encounters in to buy time to set up the next combat encounter. <laughs> so um, nine times out of ten, non-combat encounter was usually somebody sat on the edge of the road with a riddle to solve yep. for no readily apparent reason other than we need ten minutes yep. um, or there won't be anything to fight up the road because all the people you just hit have got to get ahead of you. <laughs> but, yeah, but I think what I'm trying to say is that we want a reason to battle. Uh, more so now and the battle feeds the story and the story feeds the battle you want to not just go out and hit things for the sake of it whereas I think certainly some people still do just want to go in there and they just want that physicality and that's really their hobby but I think a great deal certainly in terms of the writing you want that battle to have have point and meaning and to add to the ongoing story and to add to the ongoing scene and then you've got the the play of the drama afterwards. So it's quite good not just to have had that battle, but to come back and find out what happened. As somebody who doesn't take the, the battlefield anymore for physical reasons, because for, because of my health, but I do love hearing how it went. Yes. You know, and I do love playing the, the aftermath. I love playing that um, who got, who fell, who's hurt, how difficult when they were pinned down and these I love hearing people talk about it. And I love hearing how people talk about it more differently and say, you know, we were pinned down and they, they were coming at us and there must have been a thousand of them. And you're sort of thinking to yourself, well, there weren't, but that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant, you know, because you were clearly in that scene in that moment. And now it matters again. And I think having that kind of play coming out of the fights and coming out of the battles and lots of play and story going into the battles has opened up a lot more a lot more roles and a lot more um, role play and a lot more story for people who maybe don't feel they can take the battlefield for whatever reason. Yeah. And that's, that's really helpful to inclusivity. This is always going to spill out beyond like our original topic, but I'm not just talking about gender inclusivity. I'm talking about general inclusivity to have that. Everybody wants to feel they're important. Everybody's got to have that moment. Everybody should have their reason why they're here. And their moment to do their dramatic moment and feel it. Mm. And when you're a healer, having people spill out of the battleground and then having that amazing role play experience and the triage. And I've been in the hospital at the end of a battle and it's fantastic what's going on. It's just, it's electric and the role playing that's going on, the scene that's being played out is just amazing. And you think, well, here's their moment, you know, and here's the moment. And then you've got the pulse politics of it all and that people talking about what should have happened and and it's everybody needs their scene you know and some people's scenes are a lot smaller and camp driven some of my favorite scenes are actually storytelling storytelling around a fire or storytelling in the in, in a tent in a closed tent but that's my character and that's me so you know I have my scenes that's my stage my moments tend to be a lot smaller but still, I get my cinematic moment. You know, I get to be the, the crone at the fire and give portentous um, doom sayings and 
tell horrible stories. But, you know, everybody needs that little moment. Yes. And so you've got to kind of create enough opportunities for everybody to have their moment, regardless of who they are and regardless of what their abilities are. And I think when you look back at 90s LARP, it was much harder to find those cinematic moments, to find those points at which you felt that you were important to this story if you were not a fighter. Yeah. You were relegated to the healer girlfriend, whether you wanted to be or not, and whether you had a partner there or not. You would either have to, I mean, one of my long-term characters when I was young and fit was a berserker because one I realised that one of my only ways of getting my cinematic moment in a fight was to get there before everyone else. Right. Um, <laughs> so I was the one who'd be, go running, screaming in at the beginning of every battle and hit everything first and fall over first. But that was my moment. If I hadn't, if I'd have stayed in the line or behind the line, chances were I wouldn't get through it. I wouldn't get through the line to the to the monsters. Yeah. So if that's your only opportunity, you're yeah, you are going to be you are going to have less opportunity if you're smaller and and don't have the reach of the next person. Or for any other reason, there can be a whole set of reasons why you end up. The very first character I played when I actually joined our local club was a priest, you know, healer, priest, whatever. And and I decided my character had taken a vow of blindness because that seemed like a stupid thing to do. Uh, so I would go on these linears blindfolded and the fights would happen around me while I'd stand there like an idiot. And once you're in that situation, you don't have a lot to do other than think about what is happening on the adventure and what you're doing there. And one day I was on an adventure and by the second encounter, I'd worked out the entire plot of the adventure and I then thought, okay, I now know everything that's going to happen. What am I going to do about this? And I thought, what we're going to do is we're just going to carry on walking in a straight line, encounter all these fights, and then we're going to do this at the end. In other words, it made no difference of any kind that I was there. We were going to do exactly the same thing. And it's that realisation that you just might as well not be there. You're just totally meaningless to what's happening because you're not having a scene, you're not having a moment, you're not changing the story, you're not a part of it, you're just a passenger. And that, I guess so that is my one experience of, of having that, really. But that's self-inflicted, obviously. You are constantly, in when you're, if you're on a linear or if you're in an encounter tent or if, you're, or if you've gone to a freeform or whatever you're, you're doing in LARP, I think the, one of the worst feelings and when you really know you've had a terrible game is when you come out at the end of the game and you think, I impacted nothing. Yeah. I may as well have not been there. And it's the LARP equivalent of the sexy lampshade. You know, it's the LARP equivalent of realising that my role in this could have been replaced by a sexy lampshade or even just a lampshade or, frankly, the wallpaper. And you think to yourself, I, I literally impacted nothing. And it's one of those things which just makes you feel at the end of a LARP where you get that crash. And it's the thing that can really get under your skin and make you feel the worst is that feeling that you may as well have not been there. You see a lot of people call out after an event for froth that is validating. You see people going, so look, please just tell me that you had an encounter with my character and it was in any way meaningful for you. And I think that is something we can do for each other and we should remember to do for each other is take a time at the end of an event, either in the froth post-event or even right at the very end of the event to just go up to people and say, by the way, in that scene, it was it was made better for your presence. I know you didn't say much or do much, but I was really impressed. You know, it was so good that you were there and I was constantly looking at you and looking at your expression and it changed what I did. 
just to sort of see people, you know, see people and see what they're adding. And also, if you do see somebody disappearing at an event, pick them up and pull them into the light. Because if that happens to you mid-event, if mid-event you suddenly go, wow, I'm doing nothing and I'm not impacting anybody's game here, you can disappear mid-event. You can start withdrawing and start just, you know, hiding in the corner or sitting but not saying anything and you just sort of vanish. And it is possible to spot people doing that. It is possible to sort of see people going and disappearing. So, you know, talk to them, pull them out find a way of including them in your next scene and and again I mean this is that it, we've gone off topic because that's not really a necessarily a gender thing I think um that's something I've seen happen to everybody yeah that whole moment when you suddenly think wow I don't need to be here <laughs> you know everybody's having fun and I'm I'm actually not involved and I'm not adding to this I think if we talk about inclusivity there's obviously there's inclusivity as a, a modern meaning and we know what that meaning is and it, it's about a kind of a political concept and it's a social concept but actually if you look in a LARP context there's a definition of inclusivity which has got nothing to do with the modern world and politics and is simply about the idea of keeping an eye open for your fellow players and making sure they're included in the game and included in what you're doing and and that's just a positive thing it's just a net gain for everybody actually because in my experience Although sometimes, particularly if someone is struggling to get involved in the game, it is often you you need to help them. You know, it's not the easiest thing to do. If you're successful, they will they will be so grateful and positive and so positive about the scene. The feedback and the energy that you get to feed off when you're role playing with someone after you brought them into a scene is always a buzz in my experience. Yeah. And I think um, I mean, I call out very much to my fellow female LARPers and to my fellow older female LARPers as well to to say that I think keep an eye out for each other is something we need to do and that we're getting a lot better at a huge amount better at you know that actually there are a lot more women in LARP now than there were when I first started LARPing as I say my my actual my weekend group was very good our numbers weren't too bad at all but when I went over to my first fest LARPs and over to Euro Gen Con and to some other larger freeforms the fact was there weren't very many women in LARP and there weren't very many roles for women in LARP. And therefore, we weren't very inclusive of each other and we weren't very kind to each other. You do always have that kind of thing where you, you want to say to yourself, oh, no, I was always a lovely person and I was, I was always very inclusive. And of course, I always held out my hand to all my fellow women. The truth was when there was one female role going or an opening for one person who could get on that encounter, uh, no, I'm gonna. I will push you aside, and because that's the only chance we're gonna get. And there was more of an atmosphere of kind of hold on a moment. There isn't a lot of space here for us, and it was very difficult. It was very. It was a lot more difficult. And also, when you had managed to get your name known, and you had got, if I mean, if you had hit the holy grail of one of the lads, you needed to fight to maintain that position mm-hmm. of being considered to be one of the lads one of the the group and that was that that was really toxic you know because you had to you had to sort of fight to keep that reputation and yeah no I don't think we were very particularly nice to each other but I have seen a lot more recently where that seems to have calmed a lot that I haven't seen it personally I am again I have to speak only from somebody who is now a 45 year old woman playing a aged crone at the event so 
I, I don't have that same sort of experience perhaps as I would have done if I were a young woman coming into LARP for the first time. But I've seen a lot more situations where people are being supported and helped and raised up by everybody around them. There used to be a certain amount of sort of competition over relationships as well, which I, I don't see as much of. But then again, I'm not involved in um, competing for relationships, so probably probably just blind to it. But I remember back in the day, I was as a single female LARPer, I was considered quite the enemy. So I want to just ask you a question, Tansy. You've said you think things have changed in the sense that the games have changed and they have allowed for more ways for people to take part in what is happening in events. And there are more women who are at events. There's a million questions I would ask there. One of them that fascinates me is, are there more women at events now because the games changed or did the games change because there are more women at events? And, and I would love to know which way the arrow of causality flows there. I'm not sure there's any way to get to the answer on that. I guess the deeper question is, why did things change and how do we keep improving it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a very chicken and egg question, isn't it? Is it where, when there were more spaces and more roles that can be fulfilled by anybody, then maybe it did become a more welcoming place that involved more women. But Or maybe more women got involved and opened up more spaces. I, I'm not quite sure um, wh- wh- which sort of way round the, the chicken and egg went in that in that scenario. Um, but in terms of sort of continuing to improve, um, I think our, our, we need to just keep being aware of um, the people around us. I'm going to have to let my dog out. Sorry, he was barking at the door and otherwise we were just going to have him barking in the background. Um, Yeah, so I, I don't in that sort of that i don't know whether or not it's a case that um more women being involved has opened up more roles for women but i i do think that as i've said before that visibility is really key um seeing more women makes that seem a more welcoming space yeah so when you see women you know if you go into the god tent or have you and there's a bunch of women and men in the background and everybody mucking in and clearly part of the organization of this event that does give you that feeling of okay so this is an event i'm welcome at this is an event i can be at um and i do know that sometimes when you i have in the past walked into spaces where you look around and you can see there is not another woman in this room your first thought is am i in the right room yeah should i be here am i welcome here am i supposed to be here you know and it's that that's just nature you know you you look around and you think is this my space yeah and you did have to because certainly sort of in the 90s there were you would quite regularly walk into games in which you would be the only woman in that game or maybe one of two you had to just be go this is my hobby and this is my space and i'm i have every right to be in it um and you had to just push push past that yes I think now just be, you need to keep that visibility up. And if that means that it, you know, it is that kind of positive, what do you call it, like positive discrimination kind of thing, where you, 
you need to look around. If you have set up a game or you've set up a, a team that you're going to run this particular thing out with and you look around and you think just because of where you were at and who you grabbed, you happen to have grabbed only guys, you happen to have grabbed only men or, or male presenting people, have another look around. Mm. Maybe you haven't seen everybody who was around you and maybe if you did find that you could add a couple of, of women to your team, your team would seem a lot more welcoming. Yeah. And the, the space you're trying to create would seem a lot more welcoming if people can see themselves in it. We've had an experience of exactly that very recently. I, I think if you look sociologically, if you look at the kind of studies, one of the themes that you see over and over again is that men habitually are overconfident and are very good at pushing themselves forward. They're very good at volunteering for prominent roles that have important social status attached to them. Women tend to suffer f for whatever sociological reason. It doesn't matter why women are much less confident, much less likely to push themselves forward. So when you're looking around yourself and go, right, who wants to do X? If X is a high status role, it'll be a sea of male hands that go up and go, I'll do X. And we were in a position where we needed to appoint someone to a very senior position. And there was an obvious male candidate going, yeah, I'll do this. And, and then we were kind of like, hmm, actually, let's stop and review the whole scene and, and, and think about everybody we've got working in this area, because actually... There are some really capable female candidates here who are simply not putting their hands up. And that's not to criticise them. That is not it at all. It, but it, it, that's the reality of what you deal with. And if, if you're not aware of it as an organiser, you're going to carry on making that mistake, as we've done often in the past, where you just... It's very easy to kind of just go, well, look, I need, I need five people right now. I'm going to grab the nearest five people and not actually think about what that group has represent what that group represents yes you know and just thinking about that situation like okay so i've got my encounter tent to set up and i'm going to put 10 people in that tent and then three people are going to walk in that tent and this is what's going to happen if one of the three people walking into that tent is is somebody who is a woman and everybody else in that scene is a man then that person is going to feel a bit oh you know and you that but we're used to not noticing it to be fair as well as a, a woman in LARP, you are used to not noticing it. You are used to the fact that in many scenes, you will be the only woman in the scene. Mm. Um, in fact, I think I'd probably notice it more if I wasn't. <laughs> I think I might notice it more if I walked into an encounter tent and everybody in the attempt was a woman. I'd probably think, hello, something's <laughs> going on. <laughs> What's happened here? It generally, I think, I mean, I don't know exactly what the figures are. I think... I think early doors, 90s LARP, you were looking at probably like a 90-10 split yeah. on percentages. It, you would literally, you'd be lucky to see, you know, two, three women in a, in a group of hundreds of men. Mm. But I, I think, I mean, we must be pushing up towards 60-40 at least. I mean, I don't know what the actual splits are, but it certainly feels a lot more that there are a lot more women and girls in LARP. Back when we ran Maelstrom, we collected gender data for no readily apparent reason other than we did. Oh, I know why we did it. So that when I wrote the downtime, the automated downtime responses, it could correctly identify your gender because that seemed important in 2005, by gosh. So uh, back then it was about 70-30 for Maelstrom. But of course, we, we just stopped asking what gender people was because it, it was just a spectacularly irrelevant question to us at that time. So I've no idea for Empire, but my sense is 60-40 wouldn't be far off. That is just my sense yeah. of looking at the field. I think we, there is a lot we can do to, to deal with other inequalities in LARP. 
I mean, I think the the gender it, the gender issue is getting better, and will continue to do so because now we're we're reaching closer to um, a fifty fifty, but we're reaching closer to um, a sort of a uh, I suppose a, a sort of a gender levels that match um, society as a whole. I mean, we you you know we're throwing two thousand odd people together in a field. You should have you should hit the same proportions as you would in any group of 2000 people and that that's pretty good i mean you know you aren't in some things if you go and grab 2000 football fans you probably find your proportions are going to be very different if you went and grabbed uh 2000 people at a, a supercar rally at brands hatch your proportions are probably going to be slightly different you will have um women there but probably as, as smaller than than there will be men um, there are certain things that are that still have a much be bigger gender divide than we do in LARP. Yes, we're a lot better in LARP than in many other hobbies and many other areas of interest. Haven't um, they just got rid of the grid girls in Formula One? I think in Formula One, women's role was basically to look sexy and hold cards next to the cards. I mean, maybe I'm doing it a terrible disservice, but my understanding is that grid girls is was or still is a thing in formula one and then perhaps their gender balance of people being involved and wanting to watch isn't as equal who could imagine that do you know you hit on something there which i think is still and has been an issue in larp as well which is that if you set up a system in which girls are welcome but you kind of push that you're going to have more status if you are um if you happen to be beautiful and corseted and what have you, then you do still have that situation of that's not a welcoming space. Yeah. Um, to to the majority of women and girls, um, you know, if you if you look into a group of if you look into a LARP group and you see a, you see an awful lot of girls playing um, prostitutes and brothel girls and um, playing these sorts of roles. I personally am not going to feel very welcome in that space. Whether or not those girls feel perfectly welcome in the space is entirely up to them. And I guess that's their own choice. They've gone in there and they want to play that game. But per speaking personally, I'm going to look into that space and think, eh, I'm not going to be welcome there. Or rather, I don't want, I don't necessarily want to be there. And it, there is, um, I th and again, I think it's getting better, but it's not gone. There is certainly still a massive issue with, a, as a, a girl wanting to play a character and wanting to wear clothes that you feel beautiful in and wanting to wear a costume that makes you feel, you know, empowered and gorgeous and then walking in to a scene and finding out that everybody else in the scene is going to treat you less because you have gone out of your way to look beautiful and now you're just a, you're just a pretty girl and now you're just, you know, and, and or, you, you, or you're now fighting off slightly creepy advances. And that's something that still is going to have to be fought against. You know, that that's toxic side of of um, of gender and sexuality. Yeah. When you get to that point of a girl comes into a room and she's gone out of her way to look really beautiful and then ugh, you get creepy attention. And that's not what you wanted and not what you meant. You want to be able to feel gorgeous and look empowered in this in this space without feeling like 
that's a dangerous thing to look like or a dangerous thing to be. Sorry to interrupt. You've kind of rolled a number of things into one there. One is uh, one is you're talking about sexual harassment in LARP, which is just a thing. Yeah. Sexual harassment is almost, and I'm going to be very careful here, but it's almost easy to deal with because the answer is it just shouldn't happen. It's just like that that shouldn't be allowed, shouldn't happen. Organisers should be aware of it. Organisers should do everything. And I'm not saying organisers can stop it, but, you know, everybody involved should be going, right, that shit shouldn't be happening. And and there's no there's no conceptual difficulties. You can then go, in addition to that, women get judged on the basis of their appearance. That's just a fact. You see it, you know, the, the obvious examples are in broadcasting, in, in media, in television, you know, you, a woman's appearance significantly impacts on her status. And we can say, and actually, incidentally, for a man, it's generally his earnings income. You're, as a man, your status in life is fundamentally set by your earnings income. And and that is that is a thing. And, you know, men are conscious of it, either consciously or subconsciously. We're conscious of it all the time. So, um, and we can say, oh, well, that shouldn't happen. That just shouldn't happen. But then that's a bit like saying, and it shouldn't rain at the event. It's like, how are you going to yeah. stop that happening? Well, that's not straightforward. And just shaking your fist at the sky isn't isn't going to achieve that. And I, I, but then equally, yeah. equally, you're saying the other way around is that that you know women are coming in, and then I, I guess he's being pushed effectively only offered the role of beautiful woman in a corset or beautiful woman in a dress or beautiful woman in whatever mm -hmm. and that that is easier to deal with i think in, at least i'm not saying it's easy it's easier and it's conceptually obvious that that should not be happening and and that you should take steps to stop it if it is yeah, you you need to be conscious of the tropes and you and of the stereotypes and as plot writers you can you should avoid them yeah. wherever possible you know as plot writers if you're considering that you've got a big monster and you need to put somebody in distress um and you want them to go in there and save the person from that just have a think you know do we need to do this particular trope again does this need to be a woman or a child in distress and i i absolutely hold my hand up and say i've written that plot <laughs> yes hold my hand up and say I have done it. I have written that plot and written that scene and watched the players play it through and the whole time then thought, oh, no, what did I? Oh, I've done that thing. And yeah, because it's so ingrained into our pop culture. It's so ingrained into fantasy literature, into fantasy writing, into fantasy filmmaking that you can't help it. You, you can't help but go, I'm going to make an empowered warrior princess and she's going to be awesome, but she's also going to be captured by the bad guy within Act One. Sorry, yeah. Also, we should be clear that as plot writers, part of the reason we do it is because we know it works. We know that if you throw in a helpless damsel in distress, every guy will get up and go off and rescue her. It's just, it's just like, it's easy plot. It's just story writing on easy mode. It's, I don't have to, I don't have to make my plot engaging. I don't have to make my quest engaging. I don't have to make it, people care about this. I just have to put a pretty woman in distress. Bish bosh, problem solved. Everyone will want to go and rescue her. Yeah. yeah, it is story writing on easy mode. And and that is it's easy to be critical of it, but when things work and, and they do work, that your plot will simply succeed more easily if you do that. It is so easy to fall back into those tropes time and time again. Yeah, I think again, sort of so there is an awareness of it. As far as the the other thing as you say, like sexual harassment in LARP, I think 
it's hard because when it's it's my hobby and I feel very possessive and very I I feel a little bit kind of protective of my hobby and I want to say doesn't happen it shouldn't happen within this group of people these LARPers are generally lovely people and they are and I think just in order to want LARP as a hobby, you you automatically are saying, I am interested in putting myself into other people's shoes. I am interested in seeing the world from different perspectives. And I, I would like to think that that means that you are going to be the sort of person who does think about their how they what they do and how they what they say impacts other people a little bit more than maybe somebody who doesn't LARP and who hasn't chosen this as a hobby. But the fact still remains that if you take it at 2,000 people, you will get 100 not very nice people and you will get 20 really quite not very nice people and two or three actual monsters because you've got 2,000 people. But what we can do as the vast, and I, I like to still believe, and I truly do believe, the vast majority of LARPers are in fact probably listening to this going no I, that's not me and I, I and she's not talking about me and she's not talking about my mates and we don't do this and I think that's true of the vast majority of, of live role players don't do this they aren't they want to make it a better thing they're not sexist they're not feeding toxic toxic masculinity and they're not certainly not sexual predators or anything like that but we do if we see it you have to stop it you can't just report it. You can't be quiet. You can't go, oh, well, you know, he's only handsy when he's drunk. Or, you know, yeah, you know, she she was really in that corset and she was very much asking for it. You, have, you cannot be part of the problem. You have to say something. You have to be not the problem. And, I, and we, we all have to do it. We all have to be better. And we all have to call it out and say it's not welcome in this hobby. It's not welcome in the hobby. We are better than this. And uh, it's a horrible thing to even have to to talk about. And I think that's why it gets left on the table and it gets left as the elephant in a lot of rooms is nobody wants to admit that this could possibly happen in our beautiful hobby. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right on that last point. The, The level of denial is pretty strong and nobody wants to acknowledge that live role players are human beings and have come to come to events with all the same foibles and sins that like that human beings in real life including a large dose of sexual harassment and i do find when i talk to people sometimes there is an element of the classic is that what people will say to me is like oh yeah i'm sure you get that empire that's a big game i'm lots of unpleasant people there but it doesn't happen in our system we don't need any of those rules that you've got because that sort of stuff doesn't happen in our system and I have to tell you, the number of times I've dealt with live role players who come to me with horrific experiences they've had, absolutely horrific, and sort of two minutes into explaining their problem, they've, they've said, look, I, it didn't happen at your then. It happened in my local club. And I'm like, that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where it happened. We will attempt to, to, to deal with it now that, you know, you are both here. But the point is, it's in our hobby and pretending it isn't. Ah, it just fools nobody, and and you can't deal with problems that you can't acknowledge. You just can't. And you have to acknowledge that the small stuff feeds the bigger stuff. You you've got you have to acknowledge the fact that um, being sitting around and everybody's a bit in their cups, and somebody starts talking about so and so boobs, and isn't it funny that blah blah blah? You have to acknowledge that the little stuff. That 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 little bit of sexual objectification of that girl, and then everyone was oh, but we were all just having fun. It was all just a bit of banter. 
you, that feeds yeah. the bigger problem. Yeah. You have to cut out the, the small problem as well. You have to acknowledge it in while it's still just a bit of banter. And yeah. before anybody on the periphery of that, not your mate, clearly, not, not in your circle, but somebody takes it too far, somebody is a monster. So cut it out in the small scale. Don't, don't, don't create a space in which the monsters feel welcome. You know, don't create a space in which the monsters think, oh, what he said the other day about so-and-so, or they made that joke, or they sang that song that's a bit inappropriate. And again, I mean, back in the day, we were, I'm, how my hands up? We, it was a different time and we very much were. We did sing those songs and we did do all that stuff. We were, we were singing whatever with everybody else. And part of, it was not always a very comfortable place to be when it was more open and it was okay to sing these songs it was never really okay but you know you did people didn't call on it people did not call you out as much back in the day as i would hope people will now and i would be sitting there with everybody else going ah this is just a funny song and we're all just going to sing it with each other but i'd still be feeling uncomfortable i just knew that if i wanted to keep my hat on as one of the lads I could not be the person who stood up and said, this is vile. We should not be doing this. Because there was a very narrow margin between I'm one of the lads or I'm going to be attacked here. Um, I'm going to be thrown out of this group and then I'm, I will be destroyed. My reputation will be destroyed because I have turned around and said, actually, what you're doing is not right. It's not appropriate. And that culture has shifted, but needs still to shift. That laddish, and I say laddish in a very kind of dismissive way, I suppose, because that's how it has been described to me when I've gone, when I have stepped out and said, I'm not comfortable with this particular group of behaviour. I've had it then thrown back to me, oh, that's just laddishness. And you think, I don't think laddish should be an excuse. And I don't think laddish should be a thing. No. Um, or at the very least, we explain that that means it's toxic. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think... Without a doubt, if you call it out, it is deeply socially unpopular. I have a, an abiding memory of being about 23 years old and tabletopping in my local group of friends who'd been tabletopping together for years. And maybe it weren't in 20, that must have been younger than that, about 18, 19. I think they'd come back from university and got back together and we're all role playing, but some of us are still at sixth form. And this was not a laddish group. It was not any of that. None of us were, you know, we were classic fucking nerds and geeks. None of us were into all of that testosterone bullshit. But one of them, we were at a guy's house and his mum comes in and starts and says to, to, to my friend, oh, the two French pen friends of your sister are over there. You've got to take them out Friday night. As soon as she's left the room, everybody reacts like these two women are going to sleep with this, this guy. It was like everybody starts making these ribald comments as if literally sex Christmas has happened. And I'm sat there in the middle of it and, and my brain's like, this doesn't compute. And I, and I, after about a minute, I just kind of called them on the bullshit, not in a kind of, hey, I'm a warrior for femininity, but just in a kind of, we're all talking horseshit. It's like, in no way, shape or form are these two random women just going to sleep with this guy. Why are we all acting like this is like he's just won the sex lottery? This is fucking ludicrous. And 
the the grief I got from everyone for breaking the bro code of like, no, dude, we've all got to pretend like he's he's in. It was just, he struck with me for years afterwards. And this was not a laddish group. You know, you know and I had no anticipation that, that everyone was going to round on me, but it was absolutely, you've broken the social code. The social code is we all act like our friend here has just been given the opp sexual opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah despite the fact that actually it was undoubtedly going to be a fairly arduous... Wander around town, yeah, trying to remember what French you'd possibly have ever learned. Exactly, exactly. And and that it, and it's, to me, what the point is, it's fascinating that no matter how much you think you're not those people and you're not laddish and you're not any of those things, and I would never have said that about any of the guys I role-played with at that point, and put them in the right situation, or in our case, introduce two hypothetical women to the room. They didn't even exist. No one had even seen them. Um, but introduce two hypothetical women to the group, and suddenly the, it was just... You all fell back into that kind of, I know, uh, we know what to do here. We know what the social banter is. Exactly. This is what we're supposed to do. We, we've all got um, a learned behaviour for this. Let's all pretend like this is amazing. Just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you're, I remember sitting around um, at, at a fest larp in a, in what was actually a brothel. So we're we're all sitting around. I mean, it was it was penned largely as a massage house, but you know, it was in character. We were supposed to to be considering this to be a brothel. What was you know, as far as I'm aware, the worst thing that anybody was um, was happening in this room was people were getting a little bit of a shoulder rub, um, but. I remember this kind of break moment where everyone was all kind of worse. It was all ribald, you know, oh, I'm going to take you in the back room and I'm going to probably, and all of this, I think it was all very ribald. And I just remember having this kind of out of body, out of character experience where I looked down on this and thought, this is horrible. This entire thing is just, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. I am not comfortable. And I was also in a situation where, I wasn't there as one of the, the ladies who were massaging. I was actually there as a client. But I suddenly, just in that moment, I, as I was, there was a guy next to me and he was like going, oh, come on, you can give me a little bit of a shoulder rub and all sort of thing. And I was like, I just suddenly did not feel safe. There were there have been a number of occasions across my years of LARP in which I have been genuinely, I think, not safe. I don't think I was not safe in that situation, but I just suddenly felt very unsafe in this situation. Mm. And it was just the way that the everyone was talking about each other, the way that everyone was talking about the pretend sex that everybody was having, and the and it was just suddenly this whole what had been a very warm and welcoming and friendly and fun space suddenly became very toxic and very uncomfortable for me. I did leave. I really avoided going back into those spaces again, and I don't. I will avoid that kind of role play. I, it makes me personally uncomfortable. Uh, but I recognise it is other people's game. But I think you, there has to be, um, it, you know, there there have to be rules acknowledging this kind of space. There have to be rules acknowledging that, yes, there is a certain amount of of sexual role play that will go on, and there will be a certain amount of uh, ball gowning. I think it's referred to when you do basically like a massive amount of relationship type role play. And there will be a certain amount of, you know, sort of ribald humour. But here is the goddamn line. And you do not cross it unless you are 150% sure 
that you have already stepped to an out of character area and you guys are still talking. Yeah. You know, that's where I get very nervous are those places where there's an in-character flirtation, an in-character sexualized space. I get very uncomfortable and very apprehensive and very nervous in those situations because I know some people do not know where that line is. Yeah. And I think that line has to be robustly put into any system that in which that type of role play is permitted. You have to have it absolutely in concrete that here is the line and that nothing but nothing is assumed beyond in character unless you have absolutely 100% sure that you are both out of character and you have talked about this out of character, preferably in an out of character space and over the course of more than one evening. I just, you know, I, I do worry a lot about those spaces and I have seen a lot of things go wrong in those spaces, shall we say, where people afterwards going, but I was 100% sure. I absolutely thought that this was the situation. I absolutely thought that this person had said this and said that. Mm. And you think, oh, you know, this is why it has to be concrete. Yeah. You know, and also, I'm sorry, just because these ladies are dressed this way and they're, they're, these role players are happy to role play this particular thing and this particular situation does not mean that everybody dressed that way is and does not mean that everybody who's walked into that into that tent is is willing to role play in the same way yeah and i think that's where i came unstuck because i'd gone along with somebody as actually as a bodyguard and i wasn't there and i was technically have been offered um to get my own massage as a client sort of thing but i was bodyguarding someone else and i did not want to be in that space at all and i, I I got all of the same nasty comments and ribald humour and and people wanting to make all sorts of lewd suggestions at me because I was in that space yeah. and was female. I was wearing full armour. I was, you know, it's not like I was also dressed in the same way, but I was female in that space and therefore I clearly opened myself completely up to hearing all the same things and getting all the same lewd suggestions. And I just, it has to be made clear that you cannot assume that just because the last person you met who was dressed in this way was acting in a very flirtatious, friendly and ribald way, that the next person you meet wearing the same outfit will be, will react in exactly the same. I want to pitch a question to you again, try and, uh, you know, dance on the head of a pin, really, uh, or ask something controversial. Obviously, women playing prostitutes has been a feature of Festival LRP since forever. And then the question is, do those roles, the continued existence of those roles, signify that LRP allows women to feel comfortable, uh, some women to feel comfortable expressing themselves in that way, and that's a positive thing? Or does the continued existence of those roles reflect the fact that women are still being shut out of much of the story and and that's a you know that's a space that's left to them i'm not sure i'd be qualified to answer that i'm not sure anyone is qualified <laughs> I, I asked you because i wanted your opinion my personal opinion mm. is that i think it's a tired trope um and it should be phased out because i think when people say, oh, but it exists within fantasy books and fantasy and it exists within da-da-da-da, I think, yes, it does, but it 
probably shouldn't and it's a very tired trope the tart with a heart the the prostitute who's an assassin all of those kind of allegedly empowering kind of female roles within that trope i i don't know i'm not convinced and from a personal perspective i wouldn't play that character and i'm i'm not particularly keen on it however that said i do have very good friends who do play those roles and who enjoy that role play so I, I certainly wouldn't say because I'm not comfortable and I don't like it, nobody should be allowed to do it. I, I'm not, I, I don't know if I can answer the question of do I think it's the only place open? I don't think so. I think it's, it is a role that is more open to women than men. So that might feel quite empowering in, a, in its own way that, you, you know, Although I know there are a lot of male concubines and I know there are a lot of um, men who play the same role, who will play the, the tart with the heart and all the rest of it. I think it, as it is a role that is going to be, it's a role in which you are actually going to excel at better if you are female and if you can present yourself in that way, then maybe, yeah, maybe it does feel a bit like it's an open space. It's a space in which I can excel and I can have my dramatic scene. I can have my moment within that within that particular scene but i i'm not i'm not convinced personally that it's a particularly empowering and i'm not convinced it's a particularly healthy um trope to continue in the same way as i'm fairly opposed to damsels in distress um, <laughs> i don't particularly think it's a it's a, a space i would like to see in in games in games in which it's very inbuilt into the system I'll often avoid that system. Yeah. But again, I mean, I'm talking from a very personal perspective. So it's not something I particularly, it's not a role I want to play and it's not particularly a game I want to play. And also I found that in systems where, uh, and again, from my own personal um, viewpoint, in systems where that's very inbuilt, it's something you're constantly having to fight against slightly as somebody who isn't that. If I want to go into a system and actually be um, a battlefield medic and part of my battlefield medic role is to give you a little bit of a, a you know, lift the chainmail off your shoulders and give you a bit of a shoulder rub and, and say, right, come on then, that I'm a healer, but I'm also a battlefield medic. Come on, get yourself out there. I have to be careful that I'm not actually going to be painted as a camp follower and that the massage I gave him in the field isn't being misconstrued as that kind of massage. Yes. I, it's something I've got. I'm going to have to constantly be peripherally aware of, and think to myself, I don't want people to think that I am. I'm one of those girls, and also be aware of. So suddenly, I've got to be aware of what do they? How are they dressing? What are they doing? What are their tells and keys, so that I can differentiate myself. Yeah. Um, so I would find that immediately a game that I'm probably not going to want to play. There's an interesting point here, which is that. I'm a, I'm a deep down libertarian, so I'm very into letting anybody do what they want, as long as it's not pissing on anyone else's chips. And but I think you know if you look at what we tried to do at Empire, there's an obvious analogy, which is when you want to fight, you go off through the Sentinel Gate and you have a quest or a skirmish or a battle. There's a although it isn't actually written into the rules, there's a pretty high understanding that combat and anvil is just, is, is vanishingly rare. You, you just just not likely to just be randomly attacked and part of that is because we have a load of people who play the game who are just not comfortable with combat in live role playing that's just not what they're going to get out of the game it's not what they've come for and it's not what they want 
And so what we tried to do was say, yeah, it's great that the combat's over there. Over here, we're not doing that. Over there, the combat's over there. In, a, in as natural and as, an, you know, as simple a way as possible. And in a way, I think the same applies here. You know, if your character has gone into the in-character brothel at Empire, I would expect that it's going to be an amount of sexualized role play because that's the environment that, that everybody understands that's where that's going to take place. You, if you then take it back out of the tent and carry on, that's just like carrying on the fight after you come back to Anvil and just randomly attacking people. It's like dragging people into a game that you've no appreciation they want to play. Hmm. And that's just breathtakingly rude, I think. Also yeah. inappropriate I, and so on and so forth. But. Yeah, but I think that that line is a lot more blurred than the Sentinel Gate line. Yes, it is. And you're, um, particularly where, because I've, I've encountered, certainly at Empire, I've encountered people who have gone and purchased company for the evening yep. and are then travelling around the rest of Empire with their purchased company. Now, everybody within that particular group are having a great deal of fun and clearly role-playing and enjoying themselves, and I'm sure are all perfectly happy in what they're doing. That doesn't make it me feel any less comfortable. You know, I still feel might feel a bit uncomfortable if they're being if they're really dragging me into that role play as well yeah. when I, I I don't particularly want to. Yeah. There are a number of bits of Empire is big enough that there are a number of bits of Empire I'm not keen on. Yeah. And for the most part, I can avoid them. I know where they are and I can avoid them. But you know, those things I'm not particularly fond of go out on tour occasionally. Mm. And you just hope that they will pass you by and that you're not going to have to sit there and, and be in the middle of it for too long. In the same, you know, yeah. there are, as you say, quite clearly delineated places for different types of role play around um, Anvil and around the, around Empire as, as you run it. But it doesn't say that you, you have to say to people, look, I, you know, I'm not interested in the Senate game, so I don't want you to talk politics around my fire. Yeah. You know, you, you there is going to be a certain amount of oversight of that game to hear. You yeah. know, I'm not personally, I, I can't, I'm not that interested in the, the, the religion game and the synod game. But that doesn't mean to say I'm going to stop somebody from bringing that game over to the fire or bringing that game into this tent. You know, there is, you have to be aware that the, all of these games are going on all the time and overlapping. I would probably have a bit more to say if somebody decided to um, pull out swords and have a fight in the middle of you know in the middle of our tent that is definitely that that's very clearly delineated yes but you know that i can see that you know that side of the game it's there is a space for it and because it's there and it's part of the game and it's clearly written as part of the game i know i have to accept it as part of this world and part of this game it's in the rules it's in the background of yep. of a nation yep. it, it's there so I'm certainly not going to sit there and, and say you're not well, you, you know, you shouldn't be having this kind of role play because that it's part of this game and I chose to come to this game anyway. Yes. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable to kind of step up and say, well, I don't think you should play that or I don't think you should put, bring that over here. I think it's part of the game. You're welcome to play it. I just don't want to get I don't want to get dragged into it. For me, that the important I mean, a classic example with Empire is we say, okay, there is no uh, non-consensuality literally it's just literally defined out of the setting it does not exist as a thing that was a choice we made about the game 
I'm aware that there are Scandinavian LARPs that attempt to deal with non-consensuality in a very mature and adult way, and it is a theme within their games, and it's part of the role play that they are looking at and, and being involved with. And, and I have no issue with what they're doing. It's not anything I want to do, but I have no issue with what they're doing. I think the key is that games should try and be really clear about these issues that are, are parts of their game or not parts of their game, and then that lets players opt in or opt out as in opt-in or out, opt-out of attending, basically. But I wouldn't go to one of those Swedish games where that was, or Scandinavian games where that was a theme or was an issue within the game and then be outraged when it happened. But I might try and role-play at the other side of the room. <laughs> yeah. One thing that, I, I mean, because I've I, not, not been fortunate enough to attend a lot of, of the more sort of Scandinavian, the Nordic games and those sorts of things that have, that have come out, mostly because a lot of them are priced well out of my yeah. bracket. I, I, so I can't really afford to go to make most of them or they'll be um, sort of far too far away for me to be able to afford that kind of time and travel. But I have encountered a number of sort of, of the parlor free forms that have come back. And one thing that um, a really positive thing that's come out of it, actually, that I think we could start to incorporate more in in all LARP is that um, those sorts of the, the consent words that they put in. So the idea of of a, a specific set of, of rule words that you can say to say, I'm happy for this scene to go further in this direction, or I'm uncomfortable and I want you to start taking this scene somewhere else. Yeah. And I've been in a number of different settings where that's been the case. And the first time that I encountered it, I thought, well, this is incredibly artificial. This is going to feel really weird. And I was, I, I was going along and I was crewing this game. So I was playing an NPC. So I really did need to know these, get these words and this type of role play, particularly because the NPC I was playing was really not very nice. So I was going to be trying to push people out of their comfort zone, out of character, out of their comfort zone as well, and really trying to be quite unpleasant. And I did encounter a couple of people where I started to push on and started to be quite nasty, who did give me the signal of, I'm good with this, keep going. And actually, I found that incredibly empowering as a, mm. I was no longer in that, oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure I should keep going in this direction. I, they're probably getting a bit intimidated at this point. And then they were, they kind of gave me that signal that they had to say, nah, I'm good with this. Let, let's push this. Yeah. Um, and I also, on the other side, had somebody absolutely do say, I just need a breather or whatever the, the signal was. And I was like able to to dial it back. Yeah. And instead of feeling actually this was incredibly artificial, it did exactly the opposite. It in fact made it a lot more empowering because suddenly I thought, actually, I'm, I'm much more in control of this scene. Mm. I'm much more able to say, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to just keep on going in this direction. Yep. And I'm much more able to say, I'm sorry, I'm out. I'm, I'm done with this. To the point of actually having a, a full drop signal as well. There is a signal that was literally, if you just sort of shield your eyes of, I am done with this scene. And you may not continue to engage me in this scene. Yes. And having that, the knowledge that I can pull the plug on this scene if I'm not comfortable with it meant that I went further than I probably would have done had I not had those safeties in place. Yeah, yeah. You can, you, yes. Once the safety rails are there, you can you can act much more freely because, yeah. And suddenly, you know, where I think had I been doing exactly the same scene in a, in a system that didn't have those safeties in place, I would definitely have railed back. I would not have gone as far. Mm. We would not have had the same scene. 
knowing full well that this person can opt out at any point, we both went hammer and tongue into this scene. Yeah. We were able to gauge each other's levels of comfort within that scene because we knew what the words were for dial it up and dial it down. Yes. That's really really interesting, I think. I, 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 because, I mean, I think, when I think of when I live role play, I mean, I've said this before, I do think if, and I, I hate talking about experience because I think experience can be really overrated in LARP, but I do think you develop a, a certain degree of empathy, particularly if you're the kind of player that likes to push people and likes to push buttons and likes to create confrontational scenes and likes to, to cause distress, in-character distress. You, you keep a kind of a sense, a radar sense all the time of other people I'm playing with here, happy with this. The danger there is none of us are as empathic as we think we are. And of course, the moment you have a mouthful of alcohol, your ability to read people around you plummets. Not an issue for me because I'm teetotal, but but I see that all the time in people. And I guess just mm -hmm. having some words to, to define the the go and stop or the, the whatever however you, you you know effectively means that a i'm not having to check myself in my mind like thinking looking at people thinking are they comfortable with this uh, you know uh, and actually i had this recently i went to a fantastic game it was a wonderful wonderful game um it was a jacobite historical live role-playing game organized by colin northridge and mark chilvers had a whale of a time but my character was not a pleasant character. I, I, I asked for a, you know, I only play unpleasant people in live role playing and they gave me that in spades. And there was another player there who was playing uh, a kind of a young girl character who'd got into trouble and made some very foolish political decisions and was in, and I was pushing her character really hard and really laying it on thick. And I was having to constantly watch the person like a hawk thinking too much too little too much too little are you happy with this scene i think you're happy i'm not seeing any out of character signs of distress you're leaning in look uh, and if if i if i if you could have just taken all that away all of that constant out of character i probably could have enjoyed the scene much more and let rip much more i mean i've, I've certainly been there on the other side as well where i've i've i mean again i tend to play bad guys where I've been in a situation where I've ramped up the fear and I've ramped up the horror and I've ramped up the nastiness and then actually ended up with the person out of character breaking mm. and having to go out of character and be and be really like I can't do this anymore and be uh, and be really traumatized yeah. and then I mean and I had not read that at all I hadn't read those signals I hadn't noticed that they were feeling that way and I mean it's it's a horrible feeling yeah when you think oh you know, you can feel a bit defensive. It was just a game. I was just role playing it. You know, that's my character. My character's a bad guy. But on the other hand, you, you, if you've got a shred of humanity, you feel just rotten. Yes. You know how I felt awful, and it took me a long time to to track them down and get them to a place where I could apologise. Because even tracking them down out of character and going that I'm I'm not a monster, I promise. It, it took a long time for them to be able to even be in my presence for me to be able to apologise mm. because I had been so horrible yeah I, and i and i had to do an awful lot of taking kit off and going you know taking off the mask and taking off the bits and to go look i'm not horrible i'm not an inhuman monster i genuinely am just a role player like you and i'm, I'm sorry we pushed that too far that it you know it was a nasty nasty feeling but i think i think that it comes down to that idea of consent consent is key consent is a hundred percent key yeah and 
having it built into the system was really interesting and was it shouldn't have been as surprising and refreshing as it was yeah because there's always been that kind of i'm not here i'll put my finger in the air but there is also the unwritten rule of you can't do that in the middle of a scene that's cheating yeah you know you can't in the middle of a scene even no matter how uncomfortable you're feeling no matter how traumatized by what's going on you're feeling you can't just stick your finger in the air and vanish that's cheating but also as you say the social uh, acceptance of it is really important the first game i was ever at where i was at a game and somebody put that at the pre-briefing someone put the hand up and asked what the signals were for if the scene was too emotionally much for you and my i didn't say it because i was far too polite to say it but my instinctive reaction was what kind of larp are you that you know, I'm not proud of that now, but I'm just gonna be honest. That was no, an instinctive no, no. reaction. I just judged them on the fact they'd even asked that question. Um, you know, yeah. because at that time I hadn't been LARPing long enough to appreciate that, you know, not everybody wants dirt kicked in their face, and certainly not when it's emotional or it contains a lot of you know, very heavy issues or whatever. But my attitude was simply like, what do you need that for? What do you need that crutch for? And and I think until everybody appreciates why those guardrails are there they'll oh it'll it'll it the, they actually won't achieve what they're supposed to because people won't want to reach for them people will think well i didn't right. want to use the word because i didn't want to spoil the scene you know oh, oh definitely and you can definitely feel socially like uh you know and you can feel bad for having yeah. done so you know and and also, you might even go out of that scene and feel a bit of regret of maybe if I'd let it carry on, maybe if I'd let it ramp up, it could have been a more epic scene than it was. But I just, I chickened out. Yeah. And I think we all have that in us to kind of, my LARP uh, mantra is do it, just do the thing. Whatever the thing is, say yes, do the thing. But when it actually comes to it, when I'm playing my character and I'm in the moment and something just overwhelmingly much is about to happen, I have to physically fight through my every instinct to just go, nope, nope, I don't want to do the thing. The thing's too scary. It's too big. It's going to be, I'm not going to be up for it. You know, yeah. that and that stage fright you feel and that butterflies in your stomach you feel because you don't, you know, you've just set yourself up for basically a speech in front of a hundred people and they're all going to be looking at you and you have to fight past those nope weasels. Nope, 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 nope. You're going to be rubbish at this. Nope. And get out there. And you do wonder if I had the ability to just say, I, I can't do this. Would I? I, I, a lot of times I, I feel I don't have the ability to step out of this situation. So I'm just going to have to do it. But if I'd had the ability to step out, would I have done it? But I think when, you, when you're honest with yourself, the truth is you do have the ability to step out at any point. You do have the ability to just nope and not do it. And I think we push through anyway. Um, having the, the consent guardrails in place, actually, when you get used to them, they're incredibly empowering. Yeah. When you get used to the idea that I could push this scene whatever, whether that's flirtatiously push the scene, whether that's aggressively push the scene, whether that's in terms of horror, or whether that is in terms of ball gowning, whether that's in terms of forming, forging a relationship here. But I know that I have the ability to say to them, I do feel a need for a little cup of tea. And that, and they know that means I'm, I'm having enough of this and I want you to dial it down. Yep. Yeah. To bring us back to the point of gender inclusion, if we, if those were more widespread, those those concepts, those rules, those terms were more widespread in British live role playing. 
would it be a more inclusive space for women to participate? I'd like to think yes. I'd like to think that actually one of, certainly um, when I was newer to LARP, one of my barriers to getting involved and getting heavily involved in LARP was that slight worry and fear of, uh, of things going beyond my ability to control them or going beyond where I would like to be. And, mm. you know, and I just feel like if it was very clear within the setting, that is not permitted. We have de designated that as not permitted and against the rules. And if you say this, then they have to stop. Then even though you'll still get the 2% of monsters who won't stop, you are at least more empowered to know they are breaking the rules and they will that that is wrong. Yeah. You also, know, you, you even when you get the 2% of monsters, speaking as an organiser, and actually there's, there's a positive and a negative to here. Let's suppose you're in a scene and some, you know, it's Captain Douchebag on the other side and he's sexually harassing you, pretending like it's all in character and you're like, right, stop. You give him the stop signal and he just carries on. As an event organiser, when you come to me and say, I gave him the stop signal and he carried on, and I find an independent witness who goes, yeah, she gave him the stop signal and he carried on. It's like, oh, great. That's easy to deal with. Insta-ban, bish-bosh, sorted. You broke, broke the rules and, and we can prove it. There's an independent. The other might, you know, it, it, it's hard, obviously, if we can't prove yeah. it. But even then, it's like, no, no, no. There's no kind of... I don't have to get into, well, I thought, she thought, I think it's like, no, don't do, you broke the rules in a really serious way. The danger point, of course, is in a, once you've got that rule and then you have a situation where a guy sexually harasses, okay, let's just use simple gender. A guy sexually harasses a woman and sometimes it's a woman sexually harassing a man and sometimes it's X and Y, but, but for just for a moment, it's a guy sexually harassing a woman. He's pretending it's all in character. She's deeply uncomfortable. For one of a dozen good reasons, she may not know the rule. She may not feel too scared to use the rule. She may uh, be her first lot. Whatever, she doesn't use the rule. Now, when she comes to complain to me, I go, oh, well, did you use the stop signal? And she goes, no, I didn't. And now I'm in a more yeah. difficult position for dealing with it. So it, it has both positives and negatives. Yeah, I don't think you can ever get away from the fact that dealing with the aftermath of something terrible happening is always going to be hard and messy and horrible. It's always shit. But what we're talking about is would having that rule in place make the make it at least seem more inclusive? And I think, yes, it would. It would still seem a more inviting space, a more safe space, because you would think, actually... 99.9% of people will abide by this and actually will probably never need to use it because everybody just knows we, we've got the ability to up and down this scene. We've got the ability to cut this scene completely. So 99% of the time, nobody used it. Nobody would use it. Yep. But except in very, very specific scenes, except in very, very specific circumstances. Yeah. So, it, yes, I think it would just be that kind of thing of saying... Look, we we are we recognise that safety is an issue, and here are some things we've put in place to be safe. It doesn't just because we've put safety belts in doesn't mean you're still not going to get flung through the windscreen. No. It means that we've put the things in place we could put in place to to make this safe or as safe as as we could make it. And then, as you say, um, you have to have very robust aftermath situation, yeah. but that's a different situation completely. When when things have gone wrong 
then it doesn't matter what you had in place in the first place. So if somebody's going to break the rules, they're going to break all of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of our arguments in Empire is don't design your rules for the cheats because the cheats don't keep the yeah, rules. Exactly. You've got to write your rules no, exactly. for the people who are going to follow yeah. them. Um, yeah, so you, you write the rules to say this is how we make the game better for everybody who's playing the game in, in the way it's supposed to be yeah. played. You can't say this is the way we're going to put this rule in to stop people breaking the rules because it's a rule. Yeah. And it, they'll break it. Yeah, it is slightly depressing in a way that live role playing has, you know, scores and, and Empire's just as guilty as scores and scores of pages of rules about your your characters, number of hits they've got, and what spells they can cast, and what armor they can wear, and all the rest of it, and almost no rules about what you can and can't role play and how you should and shouldn't role play, and and it, we just there is definitely something to be said for that first couple of pages in the rule book that say this is how yeah. you this is how you play this is the how game. you role play. I, I think so yeah. much of our hobby, and, and this is where we go back to really how it's changed over the years and how it's still changing, how it still needs to change. So much of our hobby goes back to the fact that the very first LARP games were, hey, let's take Dungeons and Dragons and try and play it live. Let's take RuneQuest and try and play it live. Let's take a tabletop game of whacking each other with sticks and try and play it live. And And we've kind of been moving slowly away from that in 30 years ever since. Yeah, and, or I, and we have come a, a very, very, very long way. And I, you, you can see that by looking at the fact that when you look at the new influx of players, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a very good position, in, in the position I'm in now, to actually meet those new players. Yep. You know, the shiny new players coming up the field, and there I am in player welfare, and I get to meet them. And you've got a really decent gender you know, um, inclusion. Yeah. You've got a really decent inclusion. There are still areas where we are very, very far behind society and we, we could do more to um, to be more visible and more inclusive of more ethnicities, certainly. Um, yeah. But in terms of gender, we've actually made a massive improvement yeah. since the first days when I was um, heading up to my first fest LARP and looking out among the sea of, of male faces and wondering where I belong here, and wh whether or not I'll be taken seriously as a bodyguard and as a fighter, or whether everybody's going to be like, oh, bless you, darling. You know, it, it's we've come a huge way. We've come a huge way to seeing nobody bat an eye at, you know, whoever a general is and nobody try and bat an eye at, at this, that and the other. We've come a long way in inclusivity. Yes. Gender inclusivity, but we still we have like we have. There's a long way to go. There is. I, um, the issue of, of of ethnicity is really. I mean, I've said before now. Our hobby is like an explosion in a Dulux paint factory. It's just a sea of white. Let's be just really clear yeah. about this. It is just like we don't in any way represent that the British population, but. Having gone out at events in the last eighteen months, just walking around, I've kind of thought just starting to see signs that that might be changing and I, that's really positive but I, I don't know what we do to encourage that or how we improve it i think the same as we the, the massive inroads that have been done with gender and and it's the same sorts of thing and, and visibility is always going to be key yeah. so there's going to be a, a matter of really it's going to be a case of of encouraging people to step up and step forward and step into positions where they're more visible. Yeah. And I think, oh. it, it, and, and encouraging that. 
Although, I, I, yeah, I think I know Claire, who does all our runs our Instagram account. I think makes a real conscious effort to try and and show uh, people who are live role playing who are not the you know the kind of de facto uh, norm, if you will. Um, and I always I always struggle with it because I always feel dreadful. You know, I always feel like, well, I'm putting this image up in a real token way, and it feels very patronizing to use an image mm. of someone because I know I'm picking them out for their ethnicity or I'm picking them out for their gender or their trans status or their uh, disability. And I feel, every time I do it, I feel internally quite dirty. I think, like, I've, only, I've picked this picture because I'm desperately trying to raise the profile of of people mm. like you in our game for, for no other reason than to bring other, to make, but I think we can't, you just can't get around the fact that the because representation visibility, matters. Yeah. matters. Visibility matters. Representation matters. You have to go on, onto the website. I'm interested in this hobby LARP. I don't know if I, I'd fit in there. Tap in Empire, tap in Empire in Instagram or what have you and see yourself. Yeah. Look and so there's someone like me. There's there's somebody who's in their forties and short and female and seems to be having fun. I can go to that, you know. <laughs> there's somebody who looks like me and is doing that thing. You know, it's one of the reasons why I get intimidated out of cosplay. Is there's not a lot of me represented in the images that promote cosplay. I've always wanted to do cosplay. But I don't want to necessarily play Edna Mole for the rest of the <laughs> despite it does. Um, it, it does look quite the, the the tropes of who is visually presented who do cosplay does look quite self similar. Um, that's all I'll say about it. It's not. Them. You sort of go and and where you do see somebody who looks like me cosplaying. Uh, for a, a a fair percentage of the time, that won't be in a positive way. No, you know they won't necessarily be being brought up as as being the company's spokesperson or the company's you know being put forward as the company's sponsored cosplayer. They're going to be you know look at this person you know they were trying to do this character but ha ha yeah. you know and it's it's nasty and you then think okay so I'm not welcome there and I don't want to be there now I have been told by a number of people who are into that circuit that actually if I went along I'd find it a lot less intimidating and I'd find it a lot more inclusive and actually the the groups are wonderful and this particular group is particularly inclusive and blah 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 but that visibility that representation matters when I did my initial search I want to go to this cosplay event and I typed it in and I had a look I thought I am not there that is not me I don't look like that. The two most humbling things that have happened to me in, from running LARP in the last 20 years were two emails I got uh, from two different players. One was from uh, a player and uh, basically talking about their their gender identity. And, and it was the politest, most respectful email in the world, but basically just was saying, I'm interested in coming live role-playing but I want to check that my gender identity isn't going to be an issue. You know, if it is, not a problem. I'll just go off and do something else. But just, and and it, it horrified me. It just horrified me that someone felt that, you know, and obviously that is their lived experience that before they go places, they have yeah. to check whether they're going to be welcome or not. And and you, you, that was it's like, 
It's like, Jesus, this is like back to the 1920s with the no Irish, no dog signs. It's just horrific that that is people's lived experience. I have to check. And then the other one was from a player talking about the setting and saying, you know, they've been reading through the game and there are clearly gay characters in the setting. There's a gay emperor and there's, you know, it's just they're just in there. Mm And, and and talking about being in our hobby for 30 years and being in like war gaming and board gaming and there being no gay representation of any kind in the hobby, you know, it's just non-existent. And, you know, how much of an impact it had for them to see that in the setting, you know, was just humbling, absolutely humbling and, and really spoke to the power of visibility. Yeah, that's something that's just you've just got to be aware of. You've just got to be aware of um, that representation, that visibility, and and then when it comes to because one thing that I get asked quite a lot when I'm when I do occasionally get onto my my little bit of a rant and a high horse about you know making spaces and making welcome spaces is be aware of yourself in this situation, and I'll, I'll often get you know sort of particularly men who will come up to me and say well it's not me I'm not like that I wouldn't be like that but what can I do you know what could I possibly do I I am the problem I am that bloke you're talking about I am the problem and I said well you don't have to be the problem you just have to take that step to go actually I can I can make a space I can look around me and I can make a space I can look around me and I can not block someone's lines I can look around me and realize that 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 girl over there has been trying to get her opinion heard for the last 10 minutes and because she's just that little bit quieter and a little bit shorter and on the other side of the fire nobody's listening but I'm massive and I can use my voice and my presence to go listen to her and it's it's, yeah it's not brilliant that you know you slightly then do feel oh crap I needed that that bloke just made way for me and that does feel a little bit but on the other hand I've got my space now I've got my I've got my stage and now it's mine and I can do something. And like I go back to the fact that these things are not just about gender. It's about respectful play. It's about, you, you know, in a positive way, we should be doing that with all our fellow players. You know, you're looking in a scene and, and you should, you want to, people are in the scene and they're clearly trying to find their, put their oar in or find their space in the scene. You make room for them, whether they're male, female, whatever. <laughs> that for each other you know i can look around i I know i've done it in in the past for um a child who's trying to get heard i've done it in the past where i've turned around actually there's a there's a guy who's just who you can you can see that they're struggling with their social anxiety yeah you can go i've got you mate do you want me to i can i can i can do this i've actually got a bit of power i can share right now i can i can step you forward i can or at the very least maybe i can push you a little bit from behind and 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 stand there behind you going you've got this you can do this there's so many reasons why all of us at one point or another aren't in the spotlight we should be in and if everybody around you was just a little bit aware and turned around and went oh wait i've got you i can i can step you up here yeah i can i can put up and not kind of and, and just be that little bit outside of your own bubble and just that be that little bit aware of your of everybody else in the scene then yeah i think we, i think we would all just end up feeling a lot more welcome in the space we're in yeah right well i think that's a great place to stop tansy we've talked for 
about two hours. Very firmly taught the hind leg off a donkey. It's, it's <laughs> big a, a topic, really, to cover in. It really is. I, I was kind of conscious of that. And as we wandered and, and, and rambled around things, I thought, my goodness, we could talk. This really could be one of those fireside chats from 1am through till 6am in the morning as we put the world to rights and, and barely scratch the surface of, of the topics. Um, but I thought we got a good, got to a good place to stop, so I will, I will call it there. Okay, well, that was relatively painless. Hmm. Well, I enjoyed it. That was really good to chat. So thank you. Worries. We, we'd have to do. We'd have to talk again. Maybe not while recording it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should chew the fat at some point. It'd be good. Cool. Thank you, Tansy. No worries. Thank you. Thanks to my guest, Tansy Pie, and thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll try and get another one of these up next week.